And now, Hollywood Prospectus. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Shia. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus Podcast. My name is Andy Greenwald. I am a writer for Grandland.com, and on the other line, he is not Chris Ryan. It's Jake Johnson! Hey, Andy, that was fantastic. Oh, my God. Thanks, buddy. That was tough. I I had planned on doing the bit of making you do it a few times to mess with your confidence, but that was a 10 out of 10. First of all, you're in there. You got your Cubs cap on. Not yeah. everyone can see it. You got a laser-like focus on me. Yeah. And I didn't want to let you down. You came in so specially to do this for me. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you're a friend and I like it. And I honestly, I, I like being the mean guy and I like messing with people. But I got to say, perfect. You intro uh, the show. If people aren't fired up right now, then take off. Stop listening. Who cares? That's fine. Press pause. Move on. Move on. I'm Listen sh- to sure. the next one. I'm sure Marin has a new show. Listen, <laughs> this is the Hollywood Prospectus Podcast. Chris Ryan is on vacation, still Good the slacker. But Jake Johnson, star of stage and screen, stage. has kindly, kindly Well, you know, thank you for Chris. saying that, because people don't talk about that. I just <laughs> spent right. the last nine weeks in, uh, yeah. off-Broadway. Working no, very on, far off. They're working on my one-man show called Tubby and a Turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> just killing it. It's the story of a young man who loves cheeseburgers and fights cancer, but he never had cancer. So he just fights it, just... Just as an idea more than right. a disease, which and, is oh, just as noble. But obesity and high blood pressure, he does not fight. He saves those for... For a rainy day. For a rainy day. Well, bravo to you. I'm sure the, uh, the off, off, yeah, off it's Broadway a few offs, obese yeah. the, would, uh, Well, the critics have been really nasty because they're jealous. <laughs> uh, right. And I, the audience have been really nasty because they're jealous. And what about your friends and family? They haven't been attending because they're jealous. <laughs> right. It's and been the a long sales, summer for you, hasn't yeah, it's it? been a nightmare. And the sales have been really embarrassing because everybody's jealous. But the play is, I, I'm gonna, I'm here to get people to go. It's four and a half hours. Uh huh. It is a spotlight on me. Every show is different because I didn't memorize my lines. Wow. And I just jam up there, Robin Williams '80s style. Just go, Do go, you- go. Do you have um, props? I mean, th- sometimes they're they're props. The turtleneck seems to be important. That's costumes. Yes, but it's also to let people know I'm a serious actor. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. Do they issue the turtleneck when you graduate from acting school? Great question. I did not go to acting school. Did you not? No. You're (laughs) self-taught? From the mean streets, yeah. I'm self-taught. You know, I did UCB. So I was doing my my backstory is I did – I wanted to be a playwright in real life. And I wanted to be of the school of the Sam Shepherds, David Mamet's, one of the coolest of oh. cool. You wanted to sort of mine the rich vein of American malehood. Yes, that's 100% right. There mm-hmm. was never female characters in my early plays. <laughs> no. It no, was, but if there, if there were, they would have names like Poppy or Stone. Or Mary. Rep- or probably Mary. They would yeah. represent something yes, other and than... all of their entire journeys yeah. were to help the protagonist who the male story finish his arc we joke but this is not actually that different from hollywood (laughs) it's not like we're talking about off-broadway theater here this is actually the state of most films well i I do think it's changing right now do you i do yeah i mean look i'm on a television show called new girl it's not called old boy down in a basement that's true uh it could be called well you're not in the basement well not physically right 
that's true. You're in a show about a girl. That's good. That's progress. Yeah. You know, I, I think obviously nothing's going to happen overnight. But, you know, honestly, if you look at like the Mindy Kalins, you look at Lena Dunham's, you look at Amy Schumer. Yeah. These are like really funny, powerful women who, you know, are bosses. That's true. I, you know, I don't you, think you didn't have those in the 70s. Uh, Carol Burnett, maybe. Lily Tomlin. Stop giving examples that take Look, apart my point. You took it You took it to a serious, <laughs> tender place for a second. I thought we were talking about tubby turtlenecks and we were going to talk about your Sam Shepard plays. I don't know where to go here. You know, we're, we're separated by a country. Yeah, and as so. you know, Chris and I have a, you know, years of rapport and you and I have, you know, um, two, 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 two years two, of... Two to three meetings. Yeah, friendly emails, I would say. And, uh, you know... I think I may have tweeted at you once. Yeah, we've done a couple of tweets back and forth. <laughs> That's nice. You know, but I, you know, I, I wanted you threw to... me a charity charity fave at one point. I think I appreciated that. Do you remember what the tweet was? Uh, thanks to Jake Johnson for coming on my podcast. Fave. <laughs> <laughs> no retweet. You don't want your fans to know about it. <laughs> well, I'll but tell you. you I'll you tell you. Twitter's an interesting thing. Okay. Well, we're just let me just cross a couple things off my topic. Let's list. just jump right around. That. Let's keep All up. Right. Let's keep up with each other and see what happens. And at okay. minute fourteen, when we decide this is over, we'll have the shortest one of all time. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Which is could be a charity at this point. But here's something about Twitter that I'm you know struggling with because I don't keep it on my phone, so I delete it a lot. Because oh, that's good. a lot of people I know, other actors, you know, they will retweet reviews or things that are positive about them. Yeah, they Which, do. But I understand that in terms of marketing. Yeah. But I don't understand that on a human level, where it's like, Jake Johnson was phenomenal in blank. To retweet that, yes, I'm advertising the product, but I'm also just old school bragging. Did someone actually write that, or are you just pulling that out of thin air? That was my own review of my play. <laughs> That's right. Because why can't you write reviews of your own work is my question to you, sir. I mean, I, I claim no ownership over the mantle critic. No, you may you may have this cap. It's totally fine to share. But I, you're actually you're onto something that I agree with completely. But here's the thing: so, Twitter was invented to make three people in Silicon Valley billions of dollars. But the secondary purpose, in theory, was to make people more um, reachable, more accessible, totally. to put a human face on monolithic celebrities such as yourself, direct access to the fans. But the truth is. The person you are, your public persona, is has to be at a certain point an invented character. One hundred percent. You can't actually be yourself on there, and so if you're, but you're, if you're expecting your pals to be like, you know, just talking about baseball games or whatever it is celebrities do, um, you know, probably collecting gold doubloons and you know abusing the yes. help. I don't know stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Um, feel free to jump in at any point. But of course, they're re, you know they're retweeting stuff because they're marketing. It's a marketing tool at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. But then when what you're marketing over and over is the praise that has been thrown on you. Right. Which is what it's for. It is for marketing. It is a way that you can connect with fans. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, look at what happened to a guy like Kutcher when he did the Paterno tweet. You right. know, if you're really being yourself, there can be a massive backlash yeah. for a mistake. Yes. You're not getting that backlash if you send a tweet out to your friends and everybody goes like, hey, bud. Look yeah. at CNN first. You know, yeah. It's a mistake. He's not a bad person. So you, well, can't, you can't just do things if you have a lot of followers. You have to think about it. Therefore, well, you're right. not being yourself. Well, a mistake suggests being human. That's so right. And it, you would think that that would make you more uh, likable or more approachable, but we are not at that place. No. Be, and, and guess what? Too. Like if you look at Kurt Schilling, for example, what just happened with him. Yeah. He lost his job yeah. for a year because of a tweet. 
Yes. So regardless of what the tweet was, he's probably like sitting in a hotel room bored goofing around on his phone. That is too much access. Yeah. So then you have to start controlling it and you have to – when I've thought of tweets where I'm like, oh, this will be funny. I'm like, well, hold on, Jack. Let's take a step back. Couple questions. Please? You call yourself you call yourself Jack? Exclusively. <laughs> I didn't know that. When I'm I angry it was pro- at myself. I thought it was pronounced Jake, so I apologize for <laughs> introducing you wrong. But where are you on the spectrum of public access? Like you are a you're a friendly guy, you're a down to earth guy. You've even written for Grandland.com. That's a little plug there for you. Thank you very much. Um, because of you. And written well about about the sports that you love so much. But well, my teams. Which, which we're going to talk about. But you don't seem to, and I, I appreciate this about you, you are not out there on Front Street with your, your home life, nope. your family, nope. actual personal things. So that had to have been a choice at a certain point because when you're lower on the totem pole and people, you know, you're trying to make a name for yourself, I can understand the temptation to just like, if I have the bullets in my chamber, I'm going to throw them out there. I'm going to use them no matter, totally. what, no matter what they are or who they hit. But you seem to have made a different choice. Because I don't think who I really am deep down matters to the public. Mm-hmm. I think it matters in terms of my family and my friends. Right. And so I'm not interested in showing everything because I don't think it has anything to do with my business. Right. I think there is a certain thing you put out and there's a certain thing that you pick that you're like, oh, I like this. And I would like to share my enjoyment of this with people, for example, Chicago sports. But it's not like the whole you. And I don't understand people who are in my position who want to share everything. I definitely don't. Either. Well, like, that have is you, so weird of you. Have you ever done like a social media intervention with someone that you know? Have you ever been like, that might be too much? No, but I've really wanted to. I know, me too. All the time. I know. It's a crazy thing. You know, social media has shown the weirdest, darkest sides of people's personalities. Yes. Where I'm like, why are you posting that? That is so personal. I, I know. And I feel – and everyone can make their own choice. Like there are people who – some of my best friends and close family members like put pictures of their kids on Facebook yes. and stuff like that. I, For me, th- even that's too far because I don't want – I feel the same way. don't want to put that out there. That, that's for me. That's 100% right. But I imagine you also have people in your life that you know – who are people you actually quite like, but dislike online. Yes. That is a tough, that's a tough uh, rope to navigate. It really, it really is. And it's also a really embarrassing one because I still love, hate looking at their stuff online. Yes. You, you, you hate read. I hate read. They're, or it's Do especially it. yeah. with Instagram for me. Oh yeah. Because, you know, it happens with Twitter where you like, I love to like hate on their tweets, but you know, most of them are like stand-ups who's doing pretty funny one-liners. So that gets a little boring for me. But Instagram, you're like, holy cow. Look at you. Look at you on vacation, you you whale of a man on the beach. <laughs> Cover your disgusting pale body. Stop it with your like margarita in hand, you clown. <laughs> and then there's a whole group of like actors who I yeah. don't know personally yeah. who – are talented they maybe had a moment in the sun but it's fallen and then to watch them on instagram and a couple buddies max winkler and i are guys who we like find guys on instagram yeah and we just tweet each other and you know they're like heroes to us because you're like you're watching somebody visually probably going through an identity crisis where you're like a guy who was in a bunch of movies in like 2004 now rocking like a huge beard and a mesh cap and you're like look he's now wearing necklaces I think he's in Jamaica. <laughs> he must be in Jamaica. <laughs> and you're like, he is such a king. 
But it's also like the, the worst maybe is when these these older actors that you admire dip a toe into the <laughs> the piranha infested waters, right. and you're like, don't, don't, because the appeal is the mystery. That's right. But here's Le- what's really leave us tri- wanting yes. more. Man, well, I think that's because you and I are of the same generation. So the other thing when you said... <laughs> you and I are old school. Yes, sadly, it's true. There was <laughs> not internet was when I was case. in high school. <laughs> no, I But know. when you say, why don't you want to give everything, is that I do believe that there's something about that mystery. Yes. And I think in terms of people you watch in movies, you want to feel like you know a part of them and they are taking you through this journey, but you don't know everything. The catch with that is when I got on to New Girl, I said very clearly... I'm not interested in social media. Yeah. I don't want to do it. And so then they were unable to recast the part or? Uh, though they could have. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> With so many other like white guys who like improvise bits. Yeah. <laughs> who love social media. Who love proving around. And the head yeah. of marketing said to me, do you think you know how to market uh, a show more than I do? And I said, absolutely not. I don't understand that. Well, wow. he's also a nice guy. It seems like he's not, but he's a friendly guy and I like him. And he goes, do you think you know how to market a show more than I do? And I was like, ooh, God, no. And he goes, well, I know that this show, when it launches, is going to be part of that generation who's really into Twitter and social media. And I want to reach them with behind-the-scenes stuff and the cast interacting in a way that I can't via old-school commercials. So are you saying you don't want to help launch this show? And I was like... All right, the mystery's over. You start dancing? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I was like, yeah. and tell me when to start, sir. But that actually, I, I feel like, you know, clips of you and Max talking about a scene or whatever, like that makes sense to me. That's not giving something personal away. That's right. But that's, then it's the, down, the, the balance of how you do it. Can I do a little turn on this and can I tell you one of the dorky things about being a sports fan, why I love Twitter? Yes, because I was about to do a serious pivot. So you can do your turn and then I'm going to hit you with a pivot. Ooh, cool. It's already, so, we're in it now. So here's the fun, weird turn of Twitter that I okay. never expected. And it's the coolest thing about Twitter for me. I'm watching a Cubs game. Diehard Cub fan. I try to watch yeah. them all. If I'm not live, I TiVo it and I watch it late night. Wow. I try to. That's dedication. So one of the things about this year that's been incredible is Miguel Montero, when we signed him, his We Are Good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about this if you're not a Cub fan. But he started tweeting when he first came to us, and his tweets are perfect. (laughs) They are just so funny and right and positive. And, you know, sometimes words are spelled wrong, and who cares? And he he writes with passion, and he just Mm -hmm. started a hashtag, we are good. So he'd be like, how about that? I told you we were going to win. We are good. And then you just write, (laughs) we are good. And at first I thought, I don't know if you can do a hashtag just we are good, especially for a team that's like, you know, just beat the Rockies on like, the fourth game of the season. Yeah. But as we continue to win. And be good. And be good. I'm like, oh, he's creating a mentality with the young guys of like, believe yeah. it. We are good. We can do this. And so he hit a, a game winner about six weeks ago. And I just did the hashtag tweet. We are good. Well, I then see, because you can obviously see on Twitter, that he started following me. There you go. So I sent him a direct message. My man, Miguel Montero. This is amazing. This is amazing. I was like, great hit. He sends back like, thanks, man. (laughs) And then basically communicating with a Chicago Cub catcher about like just basic stuff. Turns out he's a super normal, cool guy having a blast in Chicago. 
And I'm like, this is the craziest thing that Twitter has brought to my life. Because via email or text or old school letters, yes, there's not a chance. I'm not famous enough to be connected to a Miguel Montero. But well, because also, he, he doesn't saw sound it. like you're also not the type of person who would necessarily call the marketing head of Fox and be like, can you get me? No. This person's Miguel's home address, so I can write him a letter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> expressing then you're my fandom. The scariest person of all time. That's creepy. Yeah. That's creepy. But you're right. So I would say, in certain ways, it has improved things. Even without the, the literally the direct messaging, like it's improved sports fandom. Like it's a lot of fun to uh, to goof around that way. The microphone fell. Continue. <laughs> That's all right. You okay over there? Yeah, the whole thing just fell off the chair. I'm back. <laughs> okay, good. Here's my pivot. Here's my pivot. Talk to me. We're talking about sharing yourself. Yeah. And you're in a profession that involves accessing. Even, even when you're just doing bits, you're accessing parts of yourself. Sure. Both of us. On, when you were both, well, I am right now for sure. I'm digging deep. When you were lost on the way here, and I, I was the lighthouse on the way to the studio, yes, and I was were. the lighthouse drawing you in, <laughs> you were sharing parts of yourself that involved your rich love of the sea and nautical, <laughs> nautical imagery and nautical history. So yes, all sir. of this is to say... Being guarded is a choice, but you also have to access softer bits. Yep. And I did want to talk to you about your continuing, continuing excellent, continuingly, constantly excellent work with director Joe Swanberg Thank on you, the movies sir. you guys make together. Thank and you. I think when we spoke last, you had just made digging, uh, not Digging for Fire, you had just made Drinking Buddies, which yes. I hope people go out and see. It's a tremendous film. And available now on demand, and I believe in some theaters, is your latest collaboration, Digging for Fire. Yes. And... I'd like you to explain to me a little bit about the process, because from what I understand, it's generally improvised. Yes. Or you have scenarios that you have decided upon, but then the actual conversations in the film are improvised. And so that seems to me to require some... Absolutely. ...deep soul mining, if you will. So, Joe, uh, his you know place in my, in my personal life has been wild and huge, because... Yeah. I do feel like the business we're in, and potentially it has something to do with social media. Potentially, I'm just trying to reach for something there. But it has it feels less and less like art, and it feels more and more just like you're creating content, and you're creating you know a product that could work, especially if it's packaged correctly, mm -hmm. and it gets out there and it works based off box office or it doesn't, or in TV and ratings, you're plus three and plus sevens, and then it goes away, which is fine, and I'm happy to be in it. Yeah. When I met Joe Swanberg and he pitched me the idea of Drinking Buddies, he quite literally is willing to make a movie in his basement in six days that he is the camera operator DP and he will even do sound if the budget is small enough yeah. if he really wants to work on a project. So when I first met him and we got to talking, I said to him, I go, everything you're saying sounds really ideal and great that we'll be able to bring a lot to the table and have fun. I think the product will most likely be garbage. <laughs> and I think you are a salesman, like a car salesman. And what you're selling me is a really nice car yeah. that you're telling me I only have to spend $500 for. Yeah. But what's going to happen, sir, is I'm going to get off the lot and it's going to explode. And he goes, I don't think so. I think you're going to really like the car and have it for a long time. Yeah. And so I go, I'm going to do drinking buddies, but I'm going to do it because it's an experiment. And if this car drives... And it's as good as you say it could be, and the experience is as like fulfilling creatively and as fun as you say it can be. I'm your guy. And it was. And so what we did on Drinking Buddies is we formed a soft treatment that was about five or six pages tops. 
we got Olivia and Anna and Ron Livingston and everybody came in and everybody improvised their moments and their dialogue. We, so I'm going to stop you there. So when you got together a soft treatment, what was he pitching you when he met with you? Just doing the thing, something? The thing that he pitched really early was Lizzie Kaplan was originally going to be in it. It was going to be Lizzie and I. And Lizzie yeah. was going to be the Olivia part. Right. And the original thing was I want to do something about when you're in a couple – and there's that person you work with who you have a big crush on. And that sort of tension and what that all means. But the arc of it wasn't there. It was just more about that emotional story. The idea of when you're with somebody you love, you want to be with them, and then there's essentially your work girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And how that kind of messes with everything. And he at that point had maybe they all like swap and it turns more sexual, but he wasn't sure. He said, let's get the two couples all together for a weekend in Michigan and see what happens. Right. And so I said, I'm really interested, but let's talk it out. So then he, Lizzie, and I started breaking that story. Huh. And we formed a, 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 a three-act you know, kind of structure to it, what the beginning, the middle, the end is, the second-act turn, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then once we had a treatment that we all saw as a movie – and it's just like a weird romantic comedy, question mark. We were like, all right, let's now put this together. Lizzie fell out because of Masters of Sex. Uh, Olivia came in and what have you. And then when people come in, they add things to it. Right. And when they add things, Joe is very into what an actor brings to the table. So Olivia would come in with ideas. He would say yes. And we flushed that out and it worked out perfectly. Uh, so then we did Digging for Fire. And for Joe and I, it's always part of the experiment. So we right. said, that was so much fun. Let's do it with an even bigger cast. Yeah. Let's get everybody who we think is really talented to come in with a lot of ideas and see what they bring to the table. So I want to ask you about that specifically because in addition to your great work in it um, and uh, you know the other actors who have large parts, there's an, it's a huge cast this yes, time. Yes, it's a huge cast. Um, and he has people like Brie Larson coming in and, and – Jenny uh, Slate. And, and Sam Rockwell. And, and Tim. Yeah, so all of these great people show up basically. Yes. Mike Birbiglia. How does that work? Is it really as simple as – well, let me take it back because I, when I've talked to comedians and I would you – know, I consider you – to be a, a funny guy yourself. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we, we'll see how this turns out. But there's definitely a spirit, like an, the improvisational spirit of comedy has sort of infected Hollywood. And I talked to Nick Kroll about this, where basically it seems like everyone is available to help each other out. Yes. They'll show up, they'll do a bit, they'll leave, they'll make an appearance, they'll leave. I wasn't sure if that same attitude existed within actors of a certain level. Now, we're not talking about Tom Cruise didn't drop by, but, right. you know, well, he, got cut very, he got cut out. He didn't bring it. He was really soft. Yeah. He didn't miss it. Well, look, that makes sense look, to me. Tom's cool, but there was this great scene with Tom, uh, Clooney, and Pitt. Yeah. It sucked. It sucked. Honestly, though, if you told Tom Cruise the movie was about digging a hole in the backyard, he would say, great, got it, put on work gloves, and then not come in until he had dug up the entire yard. <laughs> exactly. And then where's your, where's your movie? Where's your, I'm like, homeboy, stop. <laughs> Keep relax. going too far. This is really a movie um, about having an IPA or two. Okay, so... Is the spirit – does that exist within the actually more serious film actor community as well where people just kind of want to work and create something and if you give them the opportunity, they will come. Well, it's just that maybe the people don't ask or have the track record to get them to show up. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I do say – I will say I feel like I'm in a hybrid where I'm a little bit in both places but in that same sense, I'm in neither world where right. I'm not in deep with the comedy world and I'm not in deep with the dramatic world. Right. So – I don't know. I know on this one, we just asked people. Like, so Sam Rockwell, for example, 
I met him once. I, I like scheduled like a mandate with him because I knew somebody who knew him, and I'm such a fan. I think Moon was one of the best performances yeah. I've seen. In, and I was like, I just think he's great. So we went together and I picked his brain. This was after season two, A New Girl. And I said, like, how do you make the choices you make? Like, how do you yeah. end up to be Sam Rockwell? How do you end up being the guy who's always a welcome sight? Who's yes, good in who's always good. He's been around forever. He does the studios. He does the indies. And so we got together and just talked and it was really nice. And, you know, he was very cool. And so when we had this thing, we just sent him a text and said, we only need you for three days. This is your character. You know, and then everybody kind of went that way. But I will tell you, because Joe and I have made another movie since Digging for Fire that we're currently editing. Right. That we did almost the opposite of how we did Digging for Fire. Because we had such a big cast and we had a small story treatment. So everybody who came in had ideas. And everybody in that movie in Digging is very talented. Yes. And has big ideas that are very good. But it's really hard to connect all those to a central A story. And right. to say, that's exactly what this movie is about. Your idea is great, and it's adding to this. What happens is you have a lot of great ideas together, and it almost becomes that movie becomes like a net trying to capture all these great ideas yes. and put them together in an hour and a half. Yeah. Like even Orlando Bloom, that guy came in and killed it. He had great ideas. He's really and, good in it. And that's the other thing. You have Legolas in this movie. Yes. And he's playing a human being in this and movie. And he's good. And he's re- it's really nice to see I felt the same way. In this movie because he's good. He you can see why he's a star because he controls the, you know he he commands the camera. He's charismatic. He's not bad looking. No. But he is just he's not shooting arrows. He's being a human and that's, that's right. so welcome. And I feel like Actually, that has got to be appealing to actors like him. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it was. I think that's how we got. I mean, we definitely didn't pay him a lot of money. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> it's not like on a movie like this where, like, Orlando, what's your quote? Thirty-five million. Say, I'm going to give you twelve hundred dollars, but we're going to do it in quote unquote equity. So we're, you're going to make ninety-five dollars. And, and also, on the plus side, the martini you'll be drinking in the one scene could be a real martini. If you want like, to drink, my plus. man, drink. Yeah, just do go it, for it. Just come. <laughs> Whatever you need to, you want to kiss Anna Kendrick? Sure, come, sure. <laughs> just be here. Anna Kendrick is here, like a kissing booth. <laughs> like whatever Hector wants to come by, it's amazing that she's willing to do that. She's she, the you know, best. She, she has other places best. to be. But then when we did the new one, we decided we did that movie. It was we really enjoyed it, and then we said for the new one, win it all. Let's construct the story. We had an eighty-five page script on it. We had less actors. Everybody coming in. We we had to add, we had to say like we want you to play this part, but this is what we need from you. So within mm-hmm. those rules. You can right. make things up and still have that spirit and that naturalistic feeling of a Swanberg movie, but we have to accomplish this in the scene. So let's read the scene first, and now any idea you have, it's got to play in here or we can't use it. And people were receptive to that, I imagine. Well, we had a much smaller group. We had Keegan-Michael Key, we had Joe Latruglia, and we had this woman named Icelander Braz out of uh, Mexico, who had sort right. of like first American movie. So we decided to like tighten everything up and just build more of a three-act structured movie to see as we're going through this experimenting of like indie filmmaking, yeah, what's the thing that like we love the most that we can put out in the world that people like the most to see like what's the model? Because we're in this crazy world in 2015 where we're financing these movies. Yeah. It's not like we have some big studio guy we're pitching and we're like hey Maury, here's the idea of the movie. And he goes like hold on, let me give you a bucket of gold kid, make your film. <laughs> We're calling each other and saying, Joe called me one day and he goes, I know this is going to screw up our budget, but I want to shoot this on film, not on video. And he explained why. And we both knew it was right. 
Yeah. And so we're like, all right, man, we're going to do less takes. We're shooting on film. So we have to yeah. now rehearse rather than find it while we're shooting. Right. Did digging, though, so you've been, I'm, I, I am curious about the new one, but on digging, since it's done and it's out there, the final version of it, how much has it changed, did it change from what you imagined, what you talked so to each much. other about, to, to what it is? Because I guess so I should much. say, pe- people should definitely check it out. It's basically, the, what's, the, the, what's the, the log line, the pitch? The, is the log you... line in, is about a couple who have a kid and they take a weekend apart, essentially, where he, they're house-sitting and he's got to stay home at the house and finish the taxes and she goes off to see her parents. But it's essentially about a married couple with a kid who have that first weekend where they get to like breathe it out and be themselves again and not be part of a marriage and not be part of the being a parent of just being the individuals to figure out if they actually want to come home or if they want to go further apart and the engine that starts it is based off a true story and that is when i was living in atwater village uh, california was the first house my wife and i rented Uh, we had a yard we were putting a garden back there and i went to digging in the yard and i found a rusted gun bones Uh, license plates. I called the LAPD and they told me it wasn't their job to dig out somebody else's garbage and if I found a body to call them back. And so I called a bunch of friends and we went on a standby me-esque mission to find a body. What's different is that in real life my wife was digging with us and in the movie we use that as a story point to separate them. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea. I loved it as a device not only because I mean, that's that's good drama. That's Chekhov right there, young playwright. Like, you have the gun in the first act, although, right. spo- spoiler, you don't go on a shooting spree at the end. But I really did love the the, the thread of the movie, um, this idea of the worst possible thing can sometimes be if you find what you're looking for. That's right. And the consequences of it. And it really hits hard. I mean, the end of the movie, it starts, you know, it's, it's, it's more light in the beginning. The end is very emotionally affecting. I was really impressed by that. Thanks. I think the, uh, the, I, the thing that Joe and I really wanted to do, because this conversation started... Um, and it, started, it was a conversation about having kids and what happens when you have kids and enter that next phase of your life when you know whether you like it or not, you are actually growing up. And you go like, oh, sucks. And you go like, okay, like I know this is happening, but a part of me misses that person who hadn't grown up yet. Yes. Who was still 27 or 28, was still really cool, still had that older friend who he wanted to be Sam Rockwell who you knew you weren't yourself around, but yes. you liked that fake version of yourself. Where you like the guy you would like have beers with and like smoke a cigarette, even though you knew in the morning it was going to hurt your lungs. Yes. But you liked feeling cool outside of the bar. And we said, what happened if you went looking for that guy after you had settled into your life and said, am I still there? And the answer Joe and I said to ourselves before we started working is, yeah, you could find that guy. You could leave your wife or your husband, if you're a woman, leave your kids and find that person. But really, that person's dead and should be buried in the ground because you've made choices and you're a new person now. So let that old version of you be dead. How much of the choices you make now, and maybe Sam Rockwell influenced this more than we realize, but are about giving you giving yourself the opportunity to play different tones and to deal, you know, because what we're talking about now totally. is... It's more serious, more emotional stuff. It's resonant with your own life. And, you know, you can do that in one year and then also fight dinosaurs and then also joke around with the, the other guys in the basement and the new girl. That's right. These are, these are three very different types of – well, three different, very different types of performances but also three very different types of jobs. And I think it's very smart of you to be able to line them all up like that so you don't get too bored. I imagine that had to have played into the thinking. 100%. I, I think the thing that I'm more excited about and it's – 
shows how smart of a man you are. Mm. That the tone is more important to me than the diversity in character. So I don't, right. I don't feel the desire to dress up in 1940s, you know, clothes, and put on a different accent and go to an acting teacher for months. Go ahead. In front of a camera, you don't feel the desire to do that. But in, <laughs> in your home life, in when my, you are fully steampunk, my my man, in my bedroom, that's my <laughs> business. We've already said there's a mystery, haven't we? That's right. I apologize. <laughs> um, but I, I don't feel that excited about. Putting on, or like going deep into a whole new character and studying what he would think or what he would like, what he would eat for breakfast. But I am really interested in storytelling and I am really interested in tones and I'm interested in finding a story, being part of a story. Like for Jurassic, I was so thrilled to be in that because I loved being in something that tonally was a huge summer blockbuster with dinosaurs and having Colin Trevorrow on set being like, so right now you are watching a dinosaur eating innocent people. It yeah. has to convey. And Lauren Lapkus and I are looking at each other like, okay, so this is going to be a one where it goes between her, Vincent D'Onofrio, and myself. There are no <laughs> jokes here. We are watching dinosaurs eat people. Yeah. To jump into that, to then be able to jump in, you know, a dramatic little indie with laughs, but you're essentially talking about like human emotions and trying to play moments very real. But then I am very excited to be near Max Greenfield where he's wearing a kimono in a month and I go back to work and playing, you know, grab ass. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, well, I like who that. Who wouldn't, by the way? Yeah, I mean, get in line. And I'll fight the other boys who try taking my spot. <laughs> but, like, I like all that. But I, I, I like playing the tones and I like living in those diff- – I also did a bit in the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick movie this summer. The right. Mikey and Dave Get Wedding Dates, I think is the title. Jake Siminski directed – um, and I like being in that ridiculous 80s comedy movie where everything is bananas for a day. So it's more about like jumping in and playing these different games. But I've heard working on a project like Jurassic World or like a, you know any major tentpole movie is a lot of hurry up and wait. That it's not actually – like you would think it would be fun to go play in that sandbox for a while. But very often – and maybe this is only for, if you're Chris Pratt and you're really like punching CGI yeah. things that don't exist all day. But – I can't imagine, and I'd love for you to tell me exactly how this is different, but I cannot imagine more different circumstances than, you know, being called to set and being like, okay, there's a dinosaur eating somebody, react, and then go back to your trailer or hotel room for a week versus you and Joe in a borrowed house in Sam Rockwell for a week just making this thing. Not to say one is better than the other, but I I understand what you're saying. Well, my experience with Jurassic was very different because I think Chris might have experienced that more. But what I experienced, I shot Jurassic World in eight days. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and I shot Digging for Fire in eight days. So my summer was really wild because I, I, you know, because of things in my personal life, I wanted a lot of time off last summer. Yeah. So I wanted to be home a lot. Yeah. So when Jurassic World came, I was like, oh, that is perfect because it's a two-week job that I get to be in an awesome movie. But it wasn't a hurry up and wait. It was – we were in that control room. And Colin wanted to shoot. Yeah. And, and Colin Trevorrow moves fast and he's efficient and he knows exactly what he wants. So we would show up and he would say, you know, when he pitched in the movie, he's like, I'm going to have you improvise. We're going to loosen stuff up. But when I got there, he would be like, man, I know I said that, but this control room looks so beautiful that I want this to be a oneer, And I want the, and I would go, what, whatever you want, my man. Yeah. And then he would go, like, if you want to open it up and I'd be like, Colin, I know you know what you want. So I really just want to give you what you want on this thing. 
But yeah. it wasn't a hurry up and wait. It was a go. And Swanberg, even though it seems so loosey-goosey, is kind of similar in that you don't do – it's like when I've done you know, the Nick Stoller movies or the big studio comedies that you're improvising and going. That is – or New Girl. You get every single option. Yeah. That's not what a Swanberg movie is. You do three or four takes. When you do Jurassic World with Colin, we did a few takes. But he knew what he wanted because he's also seen it, how he's going to edit it. But that's I, – I want to talk to you about those two guys because you've now worked with both of them multiple times. You worked with Colin on Safety Not Guaranteed and on Jurassic World, and, which were a little bit Yeah, and we've different. done – the funny thing is Colin and I have also done like four shorts together before Safety Not Guaranteed. Really? Like, I think they're off the internet. But like I was in his first early, early work. Wow, and we can probably break the news on this podcast that you are going to be a Jedi in the third <laughs> Star Wars movie. I feel like this is the safe place this to do that. This is the time to do it, yes. This is it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be it. an Ewok, and I'm not wearing any uh, makeup or anything. I'm just going to take my clothes off, and I'm very short, and I'm like heavy <laughs> and hairy. And so they're doing a modern version of an Ewok, but, and that's like a, a 30s slacker guy. You're also festive, though. You know, you'd like <laughs> oh, a good party, and you when like I drink. to sing. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> have, a, I'll have like some uh, burgundy in one of those like jars. And you just worship uh, golden robots. Why not? Um, Who cares? Yeah. So both those guys, I believe, are not too far apart in age. Is that right? Like yeah, they're both late like, 30s, yeah. more or less? Yeah. Um, on the show with uh, the shows, I was going to say usual host, maybe former host Chris. We don't know how this is going to go. I feel yeah. like this is going really well. See you, Chris. Uh, he Have and a good I vacation. Often, Bye. Yeah, just stay. Just, just we like your tanned. seats. Bye. So he and I often talk about this, like the the strange paths available to filmmakers at the moment, 2015, and yes. the fact that someone like Colin can make uh, a well regarded modest indie movie and then immediately jump every level to the penthouse and be entrusted with these franchises and that is a bold choice and as we learned this summer from other directors who we don't necessarily need to name not everyone is ready for that jump joe is building a career basically the complete opposite of that he's doing everything himself that's right but yet you see you were you were suggesting that they have similarities in their artistic temperament or or the similarity is that they're both true filmmakers right there are a lot of people who become directors and they are not true filmmakers. They, If I ever direct, I will be a, a director who is not a true filmmaker. So how would you define that? Someone who like, has a deep love and somebody, knowledge of the... God, damn it. This son of a bitch think about... So here's, here's, how, I would, uh, here's how I would do it. Colin and Joe, there's a way that they talk about movies. There's a way that they care about things. There's a way that they have references to, you know, the encyclopedia of movies. So they'll go, okay. the way I see this shot is it's a Spielberg Amblin and a blah, 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 blah. And it's all defined in a way that to others who know all the references, it makes perfect sense. And then a guy like Colin will go, but here's how I'm trying to make it more modern. And here's how I'm trying to do this. And Joe is the same way. They love movies in a way that that's not about making a lot of money or you know getting people out. It's just a love of films, and so the type of film they are making, it doesn't fully matter to me as the actor because I like to being directed by somebody who really loves films and they love the right. moment and they love the second you call action, they love watching what the actor is going to do. So they love actors and they can also communicate the fullness of vision of what of they what want. They w- what they want it to be, what That's they want right. it to look like, how they want the audience a year from now to be yes. receiving it. They didn't it. fall into directing. 
Right. It was like when I was working with Colin and he did safety not guaranteed, there was a moment where Aubrey's walking to the water and she's looking at Duplass in this time travel machine. And, you know, we were out in the cold in Seattle. The budget was nothing. A lot of the people were volunteers. The day there was no uh, craft service. There was no coffee that day. My instinct was let's shoot this fast and go back to the hotel where there's a yeah. bar and call it. Yeah. Today is lousy. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Yeah. It was like rainy and cold, and we did not expect that weather. And as Aubrey's walking, the uh, the guy Ben, our DP, set up a shot that was really pretty. And Colin goes, her hair needs to be blowing back more from the uh, force of the machine. Yeah. There just wasn't wind. So everybody was like totally my dude that would be ideal on a big studio movie but yeah. we're here now in the backwoods in washington so let's say we get what we get and uh, move on because it's just a moment he had people pas run out and buy fans wow that they weren't doing it at the angle right so our director was standing on boxes holding a fan off camera so that Aubrey's hair moved in a certain way so that when he hit the strobe effect you would have the feeling you got when Elliot was first watching E.T. do something spectacular when huh. we got it he was so excited that everybody on the crew who had doubted a little bit had that great moment of man that's so awesome I'm glad we as a collective got that because he is so happy when I got to Jurassic World and I shot mine at the end and it was a four month shoot and it was really hot from what everyone said they were down in Louisiana people didn't know on the crew that I was buddies with Colin and oh, so, so you, talk to you. you would, yeah, we would just be small talking I'd be like how's it going here they'd be like good it's sad it's ending and I'd be like has it been a fun one and from hair and makeup to grips to caterers everybody was saying the director's really excited <laughs> and I'd be like really and they'd go oh yeah we did this thing at like you know, Six Flags, the amusement park where we took it over. He was running around, pointing at stuff. And the vibe was, isn't it fun when the director loves what we are doing? Yeah. Rather than just trying to make a day and save money and get options. And in post-production, they'll figure it out. And ho-hum. And this movie cost this. We could make this. The director is fired up to make an amazing movie that he loves so that everybody working there these long hours goes, I want to be part of something somebody loves. That's really nice. And that's, that's not what they you think about. And that's what they both bring to the table. Because I also feel like there must be an element of that. And I, I think this is included in what you just said in a way. But what I really like about Joe Swanberg's movies and all um, other movies by people I admire is that they notice. They're not just shooting through a camera. They notice. And there's one scene that blew me away, one moment that blew me away in Digging for Fire. And it's when your character and Brie Larson's character are – and we won't, I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. It, although there's not much to spoil. Yeah, but you can, This isn't a big spoiler movie. Uh are, are, you're sharing a scene with Brie Larson and your character basically maybe realizes a little bit of what he's gotten himself into and gets up. Yeah. And the camera stays on Brie. And what she does in a millisecond is one of my favorite performances of the year. But that was – so that's on her. Totally. But that's also on Joe for noticing. Are you guys in the 100%. editing room to notice? No, that's Joe. She because she collapses and all of a sudden that, her face does and you understand everything that she's thinking. Totally, and that's an amazing moment. And moments like that are very precious in filmmaking. I, I agree. You know, you know who that you know who also gets credit for that one and who a lot of times in these doesn't get a lot of credit is the DP Ben Richardson, who's also the camera operator. Mm -hmm. He chooses where the camera goes because he you guys could be saying anything, and so he's 100%. choosing where to. And when we exited, 
you guarantee old Jakey J was doing some action on those stairs. Yeah. I was giving those boys options. You know <laughs> I got a cool walk. <laughs> you know I paused at the stairs and gave a look over the shoulder. A you, of deep regret. Oh, of, uh, you know. I mean, a performance of a lifetime. Yeah. You know I gave them an editing point with the old turnaround sad face. But he chose her, which I got to say I think is a fundamental mistake. Always stay on the money. Jakey J's the money. And I yelled at him. <laughs> but now hearing your response, you know, I'm happy that he stayed. I appreciate how gracious you're being about it. Um, speaking of Jakey J, you are going back to work not till next week on New Girl? Is that not right? Not until we go back October uh, 12th. And is it a late start because Zoe is pregnant or because of when the show is debuting? Is, so you're not coming back until the spring, we, is that right? We, uh, f- January, mid-season, I mean. January. Yeah. Uh, it's because, yeah, Zoe got – so we shot some of season five at the end of last year while she was still pregnant. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we've already done a few episodes. You did an old Parks and Recreation. That's what they did for Polar. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, we did the old yeah. trick. And now, you know, she had her baby. Congratulations. And we the show has decided to give her some time. And so we just have more guest stars coming in and we're clowning around having some fun. And we, I, I've got yeah. something to report. Do you really? We don't usually do that here, so that's great. Yeah, some very unexciting breaking news. Do it. <laughs> uh, Drop it I'm going to be directing an episode this season. That is good news. Yeah, Liz Merriweather uh, sent me a an email saying she wants me to direct one, so I'm, it looks like I'm going to be directing the first one back with the guys. That's terrific. Wait, so was your role in this really as passive as you just suggested? Was, did, was she like, I lost a bet with the other, with Dave and Brett, like we have to let Jake direct one? Or it were really you like, was, was this a conversation that you wanted to do? It was not a conversation. It was, um, she emailed me 10 days ago and said, uh, I'd like you to be uh, more involved if you want to be. If you'd like to direct one, let's see if that works out. And I said, let's have a conversation about it. We talked about it. And then, you know, the difference with TV directing is it's not film directing. No. The episode I direct, there will not be like a three-minute one-er on Greenfield as he dances. That would be my choice. <laughs> I would have, him, I would have yeah. him do a monologue in another language in tight pants while dancing, and I'd make him do about 100 takes. And you would hear my voice as director being like, Cut! Do it again, boy! You're miserable! I would watch that episode. <laughs> I mean, look, so would I. It would just be you and me rewatching it. Mm-hmm. Um, Running on a loop. But it's like the show. We're, we've done 98 episodes. So by now the show is what it is. It runs on it its runs. own almost. And right? so, but we'll see. So I, I just, you know, I'm interested in directing and, you know, kind of seeing that terrific. goes. I think it'll be fun. Well, but tell me this. So I think when we last spoke uh, about this under official capacity, I think the show was only in its second or th- maybe beginning the third season. Yeah. Um, and I talked to Max uh, last year, but what is it like being on a show now for f- going to five seasons, 98 episodes? Crazy. I mean, that is – does it feel like work in a good way because you know everybody? It's a place you go back to. Does, do you have to do different things to keep it fresh? You what know, is the experience going from – Here's the real trippy experience about it. It's even less about the physical doing the work because at the end of the day, going to work, once we get into it, it's doing bits with old friends. It's like what you say with you and Chris. We know what that is. So regardless yeah. of what's written, when Lamorne and I are opposite of each other and it's 8 a.m. and he makes some stupid face that he I always laugh at, we're just back in that riff and then we're going to figure it out. When Zoe and I are in a scene that's supposed to be romantic and one of us does something that gets the other one laughing, we know now how to play these. Yeah. What's the craziest thing for me about being on a TV show is the core fan base who – care about these characters as real characters yes and we are part of their lives as nick and jess and schmidt and winston 
and going back and uh, Cece and going back from like knowing the origins and how like a TV show is built from like the pilot and auditioning and watching Lamorne in the room. And when Lamorne was about to test, because I thought he was so good in all his commercial work and I really wanted him to have the job. I reached out via his manager and he came to my house and we like rehearsed together. And I'm like, I know Liz Merriweather's taste because I did no strings. If you improvise, man, open up like this. And he'd be like, thanks, man. To now like Winston is a character. Yeah in people's lives that people care about. And so it's always when I do, like I did a press tour for Digging for Fire, and what I love the most about New Girl People like, is that they support the show and they care about things. So we do like a Q&A for Digging for Fire, and I'd look at the audience, and it would be a lot of like 20 to 25-year-old women. <laughs> and so we would like do Q&As about the movie, and then I would go like, I'm also on a show called New Girl, and you would feel like the excitement from yeah. them where I'm like, man, you guys are awesome. like. And and that's what it means for me to be on a show. It's I want all those people to love the show for the show to end in a way that they feel satisfied so that the investment they made yes. pays off. Well, it's interesting to talk about investment because at the very beginning uh, when we were talking, you, you, you mentioned how a lot of Hollywood content is content you yes. know it's made to to win the box office and then vanish and like chris and i were talking the other week like did avengers age of ultron even come out or did we just collectively dream that for six days <laughs> like it just it blows up it's yes. all people talk about and, and then, then it's, it's, over. it's shunted aside and then it's That's over right. um one of the one of the appeals of television i think this has always been the appeal of television is that it lives with you and it grows with you totally. and it becomes a part of your life and you're telling a long-form story yes. and though it's you know, we can we we can't argue this because I think we both agree about it. But some straw men, let's call them, could argue about like the artistic strength and validity of like the sitcom form versus the the motion picture. That's right. The role that these things play in people's lives, in their emotional lives, is very pronounced and I think kind of important. I, well, look, I know Cheers meant the world to me. I know Roseanne right, exactly. meant the world to me. Those characters were real to me in a way that when I revisit Cheers on late night TV. They're still real. They still belong in that actual bar. Yes. And I love that aspect of it. And I think what it means to get to about season five is that you start to see the ending in a way that I didn't during season three and four. Right. And now that I can see the ending, I go, man, it really matters how this ends. Yeah. Not to the whole world, not to like everybody, but to the group who care about this. I don't want them to say... I put five years or six years. Yeah. I watched 140 episodes. What a dog crap ending. I'm yeah, because endings, I think, in general on TV, endings are overrated because they don't necessarily diminish the good work that came before. But they do matter because they, matter. they leave the taste in your mouth. Yes. And you kind of want to go out on a good feeling. You, you want people to feel the same way that they always felt emotionally. Yes. I was doing an interview where they asked, what do I want to have happened with Nick season five? And... I like I tried to take the question seriously rather than just say like, well, more uh, hijinks with the guys and some goof arounds with the gals. <laughs> and I go, I really don't care what happens to him. I just I felt like uh, Herman Bloom and Rushmore when he's watching Max's play and yeah. Miss Cross goes like, do you like the play? Like, what do you think? And I just want it to be a happy ending. I don't know what that means. I'm not a writer on the show. I didn't create it. Liz Merriweather has a way better handle on the show and the audience than I ever will. But I just want it to be a happy ending for that guy. So for people who like liked his journey or the people on Twitter who reach out and say, like, I am him. Yeah. 
It's like, I don't want it to end up where it's like, well, then, sir, you will end up a hobo under a bridge. <laughs> you're you're a part miserable of, person. That part All of this your time brain, was wasted. Yeah, that is crazy. All your weird theories. Well, it's because you have mental problems. Um, <laughs> and you're going to have a nervous breakdown. You're going to end up in a hospital. And and we wanted to leave you with that. We wanted <laughs> so, to enjoy. Five, five years ago for around one half hour of hard truth. <laughs> that would be amazing. What a great ending to a show. It like, would if like Jessup by the end, she, like she and Nick don't get together, and he's like, "I couldn't be with you. You're nuts. You're a weird <laughs> person." And then like, you know, it's like the moment of and then Cheers. list all the things. You know, like the beauty of Cheers ending when Sam comes back, yeah, and he goes. They're like, he's like, "Go home," and he tells Norm, where he's like, "You have a wife." Yeah, he's like, "Get out of here. Stop hanging out in a bar. You're a loser." If he didn't come back. If, <laughs> if we end it where all the characters say like the worst they just tear apart each other's characters and like how they don't belong in society and they're the worst like of humans the Joe Swanberg directed finale where you guys oh. just workshop how you really feel about each other <laughs> I would pay for that one and then blow it all up is is this the last season is that something that's been no. decided or you're just headed towards potential you, just, feel, I, you feel the weight of it now it, we, nothing has been decided um, but even if it's six you know, we're probably not going to do 10,000 episodes. Probably. Well, because my thought of it, there's a certain point we are just quite literally going to be too old. You know, it's the it's the why The Simpsons is the best business model for a studio yeah. and a network ever. Maggie is still Maggie. Yeah. Pretty soon, the idea of calling a show New Girl about, like, a bunch of people living together, it's going to be absurd. Well, one of the things that I always really admired about The Office was that once Jim and Pam as they should have, got married and had a kid, they secretly kind of became a tragedy, right? right? Like, you could watch <laughs> totally. the show as an incredibly depressing vision of people trapped in the mediocrity of their lives, unable to escape it for anything. That's and right. that's, that kind of is an undercurrent of all sitcoms yes. that run in a long time. That's true. I feel like they steered towards it a little bit. So you could do that. But again, you know, I don't make these decisions. That The marketing guy, Fox, would have a tougher job. That's right. That's right. So maybe that's not what we should. Um, so what... I know we we got to talk about the Cubs before we wrap up. I but want to transition into it for sure, and I want to talk about your Phillies and the prospects. Do we want to? Should we? Should we just talk about your next summer at all? Because I love the way that you've worked these things out. You filmed another yes Swanberg movie this summer. You yes, made one. It'll come out next summer probably. But, so on that one, we're doing just really quickly in terms of process. Yeah. Everything about that is different. Like Joe and I are more editing it together. We're going to show it to people. We're going to get thoughts on it. We're treating awesome. it more like a quote-unquote movie movie but with the heart of a Swanberg movie so it's not you know it's always going to be one of these movies because that's how we want them to be but we wanted to experiment with you know what happens if you have more of a script what happens yeah. if you have more of a traditional story but you just tell it in a very honest way right well you you have the machinery that works for you guys and now you can open up the doors you take it out on the road that car that didn't explode. Can That's we use right. That? Can we do a callback to that one? Well, that let's see what metaphor. happens there. So I don't yeah. know. In terms of next summer, I had, just to be honest, because why not? We're just talking to each other over a screen in a weird room. <laughs> Across with a country between us. What could be more guys? intimate than this? <laughs> um, ever since I did the movie Let's Be Cops, which mm-hmm. I loved Damon and I loved the guys. I didn't enjoy shooting it very much. I haven't been able to say yes to a, a job that requires more than essentially two weeks of work. Yeah, that's now been a couple of years. So now what felt it felt like to me, like I went through, I got married. It was bad. I got divorced. And now I'm that guy where people are like, yeah, but you eventually have to date people for more than two weeks. You have to open your heart again. Or 
I'm going to do a different path in terms of next summer. And I'm never going to do another big movie again. I'm going to yeah. do little things in bigger movie and bigger things in small ones. So I've had a lot of conversations with my Hollywood team because i got a great team with Jay Gasner at UTA and Dave Becky at Three Arts. Well, I imagine they're out in the control room right now listening to every word you're well, saying. Got, they go with you like an entourage. Well, I've got like 19 people in my entourage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, I, have, I, I have lost the five-year plan. I have lost the big-time strategy that I had at one point. And at this point, if I ended up building uh, birdhouses and making money off it, this might be the last time we see each other. I know I got New Girl. So as long as New Girl's going, I have a day job. But outside also, of that, I don't know. Can I just say that if you found a way to make birdhouse construction profitable, a lot of people will, will want to talk to you. Yeah, like, but look, like it depends CNBC. what's profitable. If I can make twelve grand a year cash, I still got right. some of that new girl money to live off of. That's right. Well, you're in an enviable position, right? I mean, I think n- not to you know I don't, take something too serious out of a potential detour into birdhouses, but – I feel like sometimes it can be a mistake to rush into a next project because, you know, you as a performer, you've been so. lucky enough to, to have steady work and you can you can you know you can work now and you know you have worked, so now you could mess around a little so bit. So it's a double edged sword. The other thing that I've heard and the fear aspect of why not to take it is that people are fickle and they turn on you fast. Right. And so if you don't take jobs, the town turns because it always changes fast and there's no longer a seat for you at the table. Right. My response to that is then I won't sit at the table anymore. But I don't want to fight and kick and scream to be at a table if I don't want to be sitting there eating the dinner. Mm-hmm. See how far I'm going with this? Maybe you're not hungry. Maybe I'm not hungry. Yeah. Or maybe I just want like a burrito out of a van outside. That's right. Maybe I don't want a full dinner. That's right. And so the truth of the matter is in terms of next summer, if something awesome comes along that not only is a good project but feels like a good thing to do with my life, mm-hmm. then I would love to do it. If not, hell, man, do you want to do more podcasts? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This, this, I mean, we'll, we'll work on Chris, but this seat is – Can I do a, a, a weird transition turn really fast? Yeah, man, of course. That goes to baseball, but it's a ridiculous story it, that I haven't You're the yet. co-host of this show. You, you, good, you, you forget that. That's a good point. Um, so I sang the seventh inning stretch at a Cubs game about three weeks ago. That. Congratulations. That's a dream realized. It was, well, here's what my dream was, and I'm going to be okay. honest with you. My dream forever as a Cub fan is to sit really close up and then to be in the booth where Harry Carey and Steve Stone were and yeah. to do radio where Ron Santo talked and Pat Hughes, but to do play-by-play. But wow. to be in the like the back trenches of Wrigley where like yeah. the guys working are and the people who make it work, that was my dream. My nightmare, <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating this, was to sing the seventh inning stretch. Okay. Um, I also – I don't have a big desire to throw out the first pitch. I used to be an athlete, but now I'm like 37 and my arms are like noodles and, you know, I have a hard time on treadmills. So I'm like – I don't want to show my lack of athleticism and my lack of strength. I don't want yeah. to do that. What I want to do is I want to sit in a booth with the guys and talk about prospects and talk about baseball. I haven't figured out how to do that. So I get an email where, because I'm doing the press tour and we were in Chicago, we we opened the movie at the Music Box, Digging for Fire. I had a great, great Q&A there. Um, and I got something from the Cubs PR thing because I, I met her. Uh, and she says, uh, do, you- did, "Do you meet her because she was like, please stop direct messaging our players? You're distracting them." <laughs> kind of. 
Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Be, but be she, more professional. she said, do you want to sing the seventh inning stretch? Um, on a Sunday where I was going to be there because we had a Q&A Saturday night and I would fly home Monday morning and that was scheduled. My Sunday was off. Yeah. She said I could get you a bunch of tickets. So I thought my brother, my dad, all my buddies, like I could get everybody into a big game against the Braves. Yeah. But all I have to do is a seventh inning stretch. And so I was like, yeah, my theory is I don't want celebrities doing it anymore. I want the Harry Carey video board up. That's yeah. what I want. So I, I said, uh, you know, there was one of those life moments I couldn't say no. So I said, yes, I would love to. I go, can I ask if I could do a half inning in the radio booth as well? So she said, sure, you'll do the bottom of the sixth with the radio guys, top wow. of the seventh with the TV guys, and then you sing. So that's a lot crammed together. Lot that's crammed amazing. Though. A lot crammed in. So we get Ricketts seats. We're in the front row. In terms of Miguel Montero, during the game, he walked into the battle box and he's like, hey, man. I go, hey, man. He's literally about to hit. And he goes, you got a place here in Chicago? I was like, no, no. I'm sitting next to my dad who's having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> he, my dad's like never – he loves the Cubs more than he loves his kids. He's like, what the f*** is going on? Miguel Montero's talking to my kid. You, you finally impressed him is what I mean, saying. to like, such a degree. <laughs> even my brother was looking at me like, excuse me? What is <laughs> happening? I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, guys would come out of the of the you know Joe Madden and I nodded each other and smiled. I'm like, give me a break. Yeah, like <laughs> how you doing, buddy? We're also in front row seats, so that whole day is going on. I can't believe what's going on. I, I am drinking a bunch of beer. I can't. That was my next 100, question. Absolutely, but I can't get my feet on the ground. It doesn't feel like I'm in real life. Yeah, we were able to walk on the field before the game, so I'm kind of like, this doesn't make sense to me. This isn't reality. So then the the bottom of the six, I go up in the booth. I go with the radio guys. It is a blast. It is I'm my first the, – the first thing happens, Chris Bryant hits a fly ball to center. I hear Pat Hughes go, that's a deep fly ball to center field. It's got a chance with the wind. I'm thinking, it doesn't have a chance. It gets out. I cheer as a fan without thinking until I hear myself yelling over Pat Hughes. <laughs> the radio. <laughs> so I had to, like, cover my mouth. Yeah. That's really fun. Then we go to the TV guys. We're talking prospects. There's a pitching change. I get to come back after a commercial. Glorious. This is great. Then there's two outs. Guy grounds out, and they go like, Len Casper goes like, are you ready to do some singing, Jake? And it's at that moment I realize what I had agreed to do. And that yeah. is I, I, I'm not a singer. And I don't say like a lot of times people will do like, I can't sing or dance to be funny. I actually they, I can't mm -hmm. sing and dance. I'm terrible. I've never had it. I, before I was an actor and I would like sing along when all my buddies were in a band in high school. Yeah. And because they were all my friends and we were doing Battle of the Bands, they're like, do you ever want to jam with us? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. And I would sing and they would say, do you understand what harmony is? And I would think in my head, I think I'm getting it. And they were like, you're so bad that it's not funny. It just makes all of us sound bad. You're not allowed to hang out with us while we do music. You know, everybody so drums, sad. like everyone does like the hand sure. drums, like when you're yeah. like, you know, in high school and you're doing like a little drum circle. I would get the dirty look from the old hippie, like, you stop. I'm all about love and energy. You don't know what rhythm is. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, here we go. You know what? And I practiced yeah. the song. I had found the most beautiful version of it for me, and that is... Take me out to the ball game. Take, I was like, oh, that's going to be pretty enough. Thank you. You're giving me a nice – I appreciate yeah. that. I practiced with the organ guy, my buddy Clay Allen afterwards, who yeah. watched me, goes like, kind of pretty, Jake. And I was like, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I was like, that's yeah. what I'm going to go with. He's like, Gentle, pretty. Yeah, he's like, you're going to be great. I was like, I feel good. Whew, here we go. 
they go Chicago native and actor to sing the seventh inning stretch, Jake yeah. Johnson. I grab the microphone. Yeah. I look over. I see the oh, entire so stadium. Yeah. I see the f***ing Cubs. <laughs> I am where Harry Carey was. I'm not a religious guy, but if I believe in a church, it's there. If yeah. I believe in a temple, this is it. Yeah. Harry Carey was more of like a leader to me than any teacher or male parent or male yeah. figure. <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, let's just I mean, call a spade a spade. So I grab the mic and I go like, all right. I hear it echoing. And then I go, and this was where I always get in trouble. And that's all Jakey J always probs. You know, <laughs> you put a live mic on, old Jakey J is going to talk. So I go, let's make some noise. And I'm yelling it. For yeah. this year's Chicago Cubs team. Yeah. Cheering. You're killing it. They love I, this. I'm feeling great. I'm also thinking in this moment, I'm directly talking to yeah. my favorite team. Yes. And this 2015 team might be my favorite team of all time already. What Theo's they, they, doing, everything. They hear you. It's live. I'm talking is, to them yeah. during a game. Yeah. I can't wrap my brain around that even now. So I go, let's make it like, all right. Then I realize... Hey, dummy, you've got a song to do. So I go, oh, yeah. I got a transition. So I go, transition to song. I go, all right, oh, one, oh, two, oh, three. I hear the yeah. organ. I am now in the register, maybe that's not the way singers would call it. Of, I wouldn't know. Of screaming. Okay. So I go. So you've already set the bar up here. I'm you wanted screaming to have it down here. at the top of my lungs. Oh, gosh. So I go, take me out to the. Even I hear it. Mm. I'm thinking while doing it. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> this, in fact, sounds bad. Yeah. Buy me some. And I go like, I'm thinking, how do I transition back to a song? Mm -hmm. In a song, I have zero skill set. I don't have the tools to do it. Right. If you're if you're doing an improv bit, you can walk it back. You've done it enough. You if know I'm doing how to an like... improv bit, I, I, I can find a way even to move forward and do it. Yes. I've probably sang out loud. I'm not a shower singer. Nine times? <laughs> Ten? This is, it's not even English as a second language. This is like English as a ninth language. And now you're giving a speech to the country. Yeah. I don't speak the language, Andy. I don't no. have the skill set. <laughs> you, you, this was a poor choice, it turns <laughs> this out. This was a nightmare. But right before, it was a life highlight. Yeah. And right before I got on, the organ guy told me, he goes, just remember, it's going to you're going to go way faster than everybody, so slow down. Yeah. I hear that voice as I'm yelling, and I realize, I don't think I've taken a breath, because <laughs> I'm going so fast. So then I go... I remember Harry. Harry put the mic to the crowd. Yes, that's that's your out. That's my out. So I go like, buy me something. I put it to the crowd. Andy, they're a good second and a half behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing just could have thrown me off worse. Because I hear, I go, cracker jacks. I put it down. I hear, cracker jacks. I go, what the son of a, where <laughs> am I? And I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to go here. I don't know where I am in terms of the song anymore. <laughs> so I just pull the mic back to my mouth. I kind of lean back and I finish the best I can do. In my opinion, I finished pretty strong. Yeah. So it finished and I had the Jakey J saved it. Yeah, Was it a victory? It. No. Was it a loss? No.
Hmm. I put the mic down. I shake hands with Len and Jib, and I'm feeling good. And I look over at my brother. And my brother, who's, you know, my best friend, my right-hand man, Mm -hmm. best man at each other's wedding kind of thing, always honest with each other. I look at him, and he goes, wow, your voice sounded really bad. (laughs) 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 I then go to the press box where I see, like, all the press people. Yeah. The look I get, because I'd introduce myself. I watch all of them. I know all of them. Was, it's really hard, right? (laughs) It starts to set in. Yeah. That I did a dog crap job singing. So I'm like... What, is, uh, what does Miguel say at this point? So I texted him. <laughs> good. After the game. I said, good game. Yeah. And I said, uh, sorry, you guys had to listen to my singing. And he wrote, LOL, that's probably why you're an actor. Because <laughs> you were fishing. You were fishing for a not so bad I've heard worse. Let's be honest. Yeah, I was fishing for, you know, two things. One, what I was really fishing for is we can't hear it. Yeah. Oh, we don't even pay attention. We're, like, we're deep oh, in strategy. You were singing? Yeah. Oh, man. On the field, there's like a weird barrier. <laughs> a barrier? It's as if it didn't happen, Jake. My man. <laughs> you're still my man. Do you still have a place in Chicago? Which is clearly the thing you ask someone before That's you're like, let's hang out yeah. after every game. That's right. What I was hoping for the response was when I said, hey, sorry about that singing good game, was no response to that. You're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> what I got was, no, I think he wrote, better than I could do, LOL. And then there's a reason you're an actor, which then, was just <laughs> unfollowed. <laughs> and then a tweet: "Hate when actors on girl TV shows DM me. I'm not your friend. We are good. LOL. <laughs> we are good. Or no, no LOL. Yeah, I'm dead <laughs> serious. We are not good. Hey, hey, hey buddy, we are not good. <laughs> so that was my wow. seventh inning stretch experience. I appreciate this because the story had elements of like, you know, dream fulfillment. It was a sweet story. Yeah. But it also was a cautionary tale, which is, the you know, I like that in my storytelling. Yeah. And I'll also tell you, it was, it sums up more than anything. And that's the first time I've told the story to anyone besides like my wife or my friends. And in, and in telling it out loud, it actually sums up my Hollywood experience. You think? Yes, I know. There have been parts that I'm like, I can't believe it. This is yeah. incredible. And then there are other parts of like, whoo, that did not turn out the way I expected. <laughs> what was the Peanuts and Cracker Jack version? Like, uh, what was the Peanuts and Cracker Jack of Hollywood? Um, what is the moment when you, you thought you were saving it and the feedback came back to you? And so it was... I did a, a table read. I got asked to do the table read for Get Him to the Greek because I had known Jonah Hill a little bit. Right. And Jonah had seen some shorts I was in. And Jonah told Nick Stoller, this dude's really funny. Uh, let's get him a part. And I auditioned to play the part that T.J. Miller played of the drug dealer in it. I read mm-hmm. like three times and they're like, we're giving it to T.J., but we like you, yeah. but we don't know where you belong. Long before New Girl, long before I was in anything. Yeah. I was one of those like utility players that would get like called up on a team in September. Yeah. You're on the radar, but I'm they don't the know radar, if you're... But I'm not going to be a starter. But if you're mm-hmm. making a playoff run, maybe I could steal a base. Yeah, maybe fourth outfielder type. Maybe, yeah, that's right. And so I get called into this table read to read like nine different parts in front of like a hundred people, all (laughs) Hollywood writers and directors, uh, the entire cast, Judd Apatow was there. And what's going to happen is after we read the whole thing, the cast is going to leave and everyone's going to give notes on the script right before they go into production. Right. So I didn't know any of that. I heard table read on a Saturday and so I thought it was like me and a couple other people reading literally like Jonah and Russell and Diddy's lines just yeah. for like the director. So they could hear it spoken yeah. aloud, right? Andy, I'm literally wearing a sweat outfit. 
This was like Saturday afternoon at 10 a.m. I like had a big cup of coffee. I am not a great dresser. Style means nothing to me. I was wearing like, you know, Adidas pants and like a sweatshirt, a baseball hat, probably sandals, man sandals. I show up. First of all, there's an audience, and I go, what are all the chairs for? And they're like, oh, the audience. And I'm like, very cool, very cool. I think I had read my lines once. And they're like, so you're playing like 95 different characters. I'm like, very cool, sounds great. And I go, so hopefully I'm then sitting in a deep corner, because now that the real cast is here, I am not the real cast. I am just some weird dude who's here for some reason. (laughs) I see the names. I see Russell Brand, Jonah Hill, P. Diddy. Very weird to see. Or, you know, Sean Combs, whatever it was. Then Jake Johnson. Why in God's name is that guy, Jake Johnson, who I've never heard of, next to Sean Combs? You were next to him? Yes. So then he's late. So I, oh. I worked myself in a frenzy that by 10 a.m., I got to be, remember to, I gotta be re, uh, ready to perform, Jack. Let's go. Yeah. 10 o'clock showtime. Yeah. By 10.30, Sean's not there. Oh, no. So then he too soon? A hundred percent. I had like 40, yeah. 45 cups of coffee. By 10, 15, I'm exhausted. My <laughs> adrenaline is done. So then <laughs> he shows up yeah. with like a crew of dudes, a guy watching yeah. the door, a guy who drove him. Sure. He walks in. Everybody, all these like writer guys, everybody's different now. Everybody's like, oh, here we go. Sean's here. He sits down next to me. I see his neck tattoo. I'm also realizing it's crazy that this guy's a real guy. Yeah. You know, and I thought he was like so good and made. You yeah. know, like I'm a fan of his. Yeah, like, as, as an actor, not. I mean, obviously like, you're a fan. It's like kind of a whole thing. I was yeah. like, he's really done a lot in his life. You know, yeah. judging from afar is one thing. In real life, when you're next to this man, where you're like, you created you, yeah. and I've created me. I've created this ensemble. Yeah. Of, <laughs> my man, we're near the same age. I'm in a sweat outfit, and I have eleven hundred dollars to my name. You're in a straight up like cool suit and you're worth millions. And I had way more advantages when we started. I went to great schools. <laughs> you're was better he, at he, this thing than me. Was he a nice guy to you? Yes. Was he, like, he was is, nice to everybody. That's nice. He was nice. He was cool. But I just I kind of got a little, wow, look at this guy. Yeah. Thing starts. I've got my random lines here and there. There's a moment where he gives his first big monologue. And at the end of it, he says, now who's up? And it's to all the sales execs that like Aziz played a part right. in. I ended up being one of those guys. That's right. Nick Kroll was one of them. And I was reading most of them that day. So he goes, who's up? And then it's, you know, exec number one and I answer. And then he shuts me down. He starts doing this monologue, Andy. He's so funny. Yeah. He's also improvising at a table read. I have never seen that. Wow. And crushing it. Yeah. I'm laughing. The room is laughing. Little old stupid Jake stops reading along, and I just start watching the show. Uh-oh. I then hear him go, who's up? Who's first? Old heart stops beating. <laughs> That's me. That's the hand me the mic. It's the seventh inning stretch. So I say my line. Yeah. There's a long, awkward pause in the room. He looks, and he's like, uh. And then Judd Apatow goes, wait, 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 wait. Sean, Sean, Sean. You miss the entire thing about, like, the chicken hut. And he goes, not being mean, I didn't miss anything. He jumped on my line. (laughs) (laughs) And I, at this point, am literally trying to disappear in my little sweat outfit. Judd goes, no, you got to say all this stuff. And he goes, I know, man. I was gonna. He jumped my line. To which point I looked back as everybody looked at the script to realize who who made the blunder. 
to realize sure. he says who's first in the middle of it. Everybody's scared. Nobody responds. He then keeps going. Right. I didn't know that. I, in fact, jumped on his line. So there's an awkward pause where then Judd goes, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, he jumped on his line. And then Stoller goes, it's okay, it's okay, Jake, like, you're fine. So let's take it back. And Sean's like, from where? Because he was in a groove. So everybody's like, I don't know what we do. Sean, like, we're not going to make Sean go way back to the beginning of this monologue. So they're like, it's fine, Sean. We got where you were going. It was really funny. Just try to pick it up. He's now, like, disappointed. Like he's like you let down Diddy. I let down the entire room. You then did. I'm sitting there and we go back in it. And my buddy Max Winkler, who was in the crowd, did the same exact thing that my brother did to me after the singing. <laughs> and that is, I looked up and he's shaking his head like, "Ooh boy, bad job." At the end of that one, when everyone's like thanking each other and telling each other really funny, I got no good goodbyes. I got like, "See you later, Jake." And I was like, "Thanks. It was fun, yeah." We did okay, right? I like texted Jonah like really funny script. He wrote back like, "Yeah, it'll be good." Not like you did okay. He we, he wrote back, "We are not good. Stop texting me. We are not good." <laughs> so not there's good. been a few. How do we call them? Blunders. A few bumps on the road. A to few success. bumps on the road. Two miles. Though, it's, it's humanizing, you know, yes. because people look at you. You know, you're you're, you're a famous celebrity. You're an Adonis. <laughs> You're well dressed, and it's I mean, good per- to know the human side. That's you know? right. The I mystery. Try to show of, that. I yeah. feel like I feel like that's the place we got to stop it. I feel like we've let people in to you in yeah. a way that I don't think either of us was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I'm definitely going to text you after this and be brutally honest. But. And right, I'm going to text you a fun podcast, and you're going to write back. We are not good. That's right. Sure, sure. I'll never need you again. But thanks. <laughs> no, you, you did. Oh, that was. You did it. How about that? Like, we'll just really quickly. I'm going to say before we go. How about yeah. Kyle Schwarber? How about Chris Bryant? How about Addison Russell? How about the 2015 Chicago Cubs? I'm so happy for you because people Thank should you. go back and listen to the last time we talked. You told a, a a story that I I treasure to this day, and it was really it spoke to me as a sports fan about how every year you fall in love yeah. with a girl, and then you walk in on the girl, and she's having yeah, a threesome, yeah. and there are drugs, and Awful. Miguel Montero's there, and it's your brother Awful. might be there saying. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This year, it's different. It's love this year. And I got to tell you, I've never loved her the way I love her. I'm 100% in. There's um, nothing better than this. I have proposed. She said yes. <laughs> uh, we went to Jared. Got the ring. Uh, we ca- Everything. I love her family. I'm better with her. She's better with me. It's just like life is – if I'm wrong here, then you know, cancel Christmas. But this is it. There is no greater joy as a sports fan than a young – fun baseball team yes like gelling like That's we were right. talking about this before we started and, and i i feel now with my phillies that i'm where you were a few years ago yep. with maybe like this the c plus level of prospects to your a pluses but getting there but getting there and then and i, I feel so free yes. because it doesn't matter what they do in the major league level right now it's just watching the kids high five each other and right. jp crawford celebrating the you know the, the the eastern league championship with sparkling cider because he's not 21 yet you know, oh it's my like God. These beautiful stories i just want i want to be in the i want to wear the goggles and high five them Me it's, too. it's the best and then when they finally come up and they succeed yes it's like you're watching your kid grow up and you couldn't you're like you are better than me yes i want more success from you than i ever had yes yeah, and they and and you love them more, maybe more than your kids. I don't know. Uh, who who are we to say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but so, do you think I, we're not jinxing anything? There, there are no curses. This is just purely yeah. fun. But you feel you feel good this year. Look, I don't know about a World Series. This is a young team. 
uh, I feel very confident that we're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to get experience. And once you get into the uh, tournament, who knows what's going to happen? Anything we have a happen. great team. Jake Arrieta is out of control. John yeah. Lester is unbelievable. It's like we have a great one-two. We got a great lineup. Man is the best manager in baseball. Yep. So why not us? Why not now? And you know, and you gave me the greatest gift I'll have for a while. You gave us the Cole Hamels no hitter. So I appreciate that. All right, it was that really was nice talking to you. It was a wonderful. <laughs> I started to kill the mood. It's a wonderful moment, wonderful moment for me. It, look, it was great. He's a fantastic ranger. See, but exactly. See, how does it feel that you have that? Mag, you know, you can be magnanimous now. Yeah. You can be like, you can have that one yes, lesser fan right. because finally we have what that's everyone right. wants. Well, we got a, before we got our Jake Arrieta uh, no hitter. That one really stung. The Cole Hamill ones. Sorry, but you got it back though. It's we got good. it back. Now we're even. It's like I, I I can't figure out why the Phillies beat us so much this year, but there's just something about you guys. Well, I was, I was saying to you, it's because you literally have no tape because we are running out people who learned to play baseball three months ago. Totally. You know, like the, the, the people Chip Kelly cuts from the Eagles just go across the street, suit up, and, you know, hit a couple fungos. And that's it. Uh, Jake, thank you for coming in. Thank you for doing this. Uh, thank you for filling in so admirably for Chris. You're welcome to come back anytime. Thank you. I love being here, and it's always great to talk to you. And thanks for everything you've done for me with Grantland. It's been a blast. Oh, of course. I hope you'll write for us again and uh, you'll come visit again. Bye, everybody. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.